It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Well, we can't, Sean, because we, we don't. And you know, the one thing I'll tell you, it's caused the greatest fundraising. My po- father's poll numbers have absolutely gone through the roof. They're not even talking about any other Republican candidates because they've all kind of you know disappeared. They're not even in the equation. I mean, last night I had an argument between two people in a restaurant who are trying to buy Laura and I dinner to apologize to what the, you know, for what the United States government has done to our family, Sean. I mean, you wouldn't believe the energy out there. I've been through all of these firestorms over the year. I've never seen America more mad than it is right now. There's only so many times you can cry wolf. People are not buying the sham in the country. They see the weaponization of the FBI. They're calling it the police state in this country. Um, people get this for what it is, Sean. The, you know, they've uh, removed the wool from people's eyes, and people know exactly what's going on. They're targeting Donald Trump. They're targeting his family. They're targeting everybody around him. They're targeting his lawyers. Uh, anybody that's close to Donald Trump, anybody who's effective, they're targeting right now. And people understand this for exactly what it's worth. It's a fishing expedition. I mean, they pulled the warrant on Friday. They didn't actually execute the water warrant until Monday. So when I hear about these nonsense speculations about nuclear codes, okay, so, you know, FBI agents were so busy on a weekend that, you know, over nuclear codes, they waited four days. I mean, it's nonsense. Sean is absolutely fishing. And, you know, it's the exact same playbook that they used during Russia. The exact same reporters are being leaked information that were used as the sources for the whole Russia hoax. I mean, go line up all the reporters who were getting inside information, unsolicited information during the Russia hoax. They're the exact same people that the FBI are leaking to now. It's the same reporters reporting on the same thing, the same story. They're going to their friends in the Democratic media, who are effectively the lobbyist arm of the Democratic Party, and they're leaking stories about Donald Trump to right. hurt him. Last We're 90 question. days out, Sean, from the midterms. Yeah. It's, not, it's not surprising. This timing is not surprising, and it's backfiring on these people. All right, Sandy Rios with you. That was the voice of Eric Trump with Sean Hannity last night. And um, you can hear that Eric's fired up. But, you know, these, uh, isn't it amazing to see President, uh, President Trump's children defend him? I think it's pretty amazing, I especially, I think, because we're in a time where so many of our children are um, uh, estranged from us uh, politically, or they don't defend us, or they don't respect a lot of their parents. And I think uh, it kind of stands out uh, to me that his children love him so much and fight so hard for him. Uh, could be very different, you know? Okay, so, but back to the facts here. Um, President Trump has now told us that, uh, among other things, they took three of his passports. Uh, and uh, someone has pointed out, rightly so, that this is like a, this is a way of stopping him from traveling. Another breach of his freedoms, incredible breach of his freedoms. Well, Nora O'Donnell on, what is she on, MSNBC or NBC? 
decided that that was not true. She said, according to a DOJ official, the FBI is not in possession of former President Trump's passports. Trump has accused the FBI of stealing his three passports during the search of his Mar-a-Lago home. We're also learning tonight that if any items not contained in the warrant were retrieved during the FBI search, they will be returned. Okay, so that was Nora O'Donnell. Well, a Trump spokesman uh, jumped right in. It's CBS. Uh, Nora's with CBS now. Uh, so, so he says uh, it's Taylor Budowich, he's the director of communications for the Save America PAC, uh, said, he shared a screenshot, actually, of an email sent earlier by Jay Brad, an official at the National Security Division of the DOJ, uh, saying, we have learned that filter agents seized three passports belonging, this is coming from the DOJ, seized three passports belonging to President Trump, two expired and one being active diplomatic passport. We are returning them. So he tweeted that, and then he said, Budovich said, This is how fake news works, folks. The Biden administration actively feeds half-truths and lies that the media willingly amplifies, advancing a partisan narrative to attract Trump. And so uh, she's been slapped down, and President Trump is, once again, uh, the honest person in this scenario. It's just kind of amazing to me. Uh, this is also amazing to me. Uh, Catherine Herridge, you know, who was—I love Catherine. She was at Fox for a number of years— I got to know her. She's just a, a stellar reporter. Now she's with CBS, and she points out that that uh, code that Mark Elias, who was the D- Democratic uh, operative with Hillary Clinton, who uh, really orchestrated the I all of us believe, and I think all of us believe, people that I know believe, and for good reason, that he orchestrated the nefarious uh, voting on 2020. He actually set out a plan and executed it. Uh, and right after the Mar-a-Lago um, uh, invasion uh, by the FBI, President Trump's home, he basically tweeted out that uh, there was people are missing the point of this raid, uh, and he cited a, a code. Remember, I talked to Victoria Tensing, a former Justice Department official, about this, and the code that Mark Elias cited, which he was so happy, he was practically salivating in his tweet. You could hear it. He was so excited. You're missing them. Americans are missing the point. This is something that could really bring Trump down. And he cited USC 793. Catherine Herridge says, if that sounds familiar, revisit then FBI Director Comey's 2016 statement about Clinton, the Clinton email probe in mishandling classified information, where he said, intent was the key factor after emails above marked above top secret or special access program were identified. And so this is kind of what, uh, this is part from Comey's notes from his statement after that. Remember Hillary Clinton had thousands and thousands of highly classified email on an unsecured server. Uh, we know now that um, through, um, it was Louis Gohmert's office that reported this, and it's, uh, and others have reported it, but not widely, uh, that the Chinese actually had access to everything that she wrote. There were no secrets during the Obama administration because the Secretary of State Hillary Clinton was so sloppy uh, and careless and maybe intentional, who knows, because she's no friend of this country. Uh, but um, So the investigation started, and you will remember that James Comey found her just, he said, there were there are obvious considerations uh, but no reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case. In fact, let's listen a little bit just to remind ourselves how this happened. This is clip nine. Director Comey said that my answers were truthful and what I've said is consistent with what I have told the American people. Secretary Clinton said there was nothing marked classified on her emails either sent or received. Was that true? That's not true. There were a small number of portion markings on, I think, three of the documents. 
Secretary Clinton said I did not email any classified material to anyone on my email. There is no classified material. Was that true? Now, there was classified material emailed. Although we did not find clear evidence that Secretary Clinton or her colleagues intended to violate laws governing the handling of classified information, there is evidence that they were extremely careless in their handling of very sensitive, highly classified information. Yeah, understatement of the century. And I remember Cheryl Mills was uh, Hillary Clinton's assistant, her constant companion. And she was the one that deleted the emails in violation of the archive laws and the House subpoena, de uh, deleted everything. And, of course, you know they destroyed the files with bleach bit or whatever you call that. And what happened to Cheryl Mills? She was granted immunity. So, uh, okay, so now back to last night. I couldn't believe my eyes went a familiar face. I remember the last time I saw this face, he looked like he was uh, testifying before Congress, and he was just absolutely creepy. He's the FBI agent who had an affair with Lisa Page, whose emails were made public, uh, who uh, there was a, a play made from those emails because they ended up, they were having an affair, both of them on their spouses. That's an incidental piece, but they were declaring how much they hated Donald Trump, and they were the lead investigators on the Trump-Russia collusion, and um, Peter Strzok, that's his name, was on last night, you know, get, sharing his thoughts about the Mar-a-Lago raid. Let's listen to clip one. Well, Joe, absolutely the American public should trust what the FBI is doing. You know, what's funny is I think back the year and a half that I spent with the team looking at Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server, there was no concern. There was no outrage on behalf of any Republican as we used search warrants, as we went out and did a very invasive investigation to try and get to the bottom of what she did or didn't do. So it's not that the FBI is targeting any one side or the other. What you see is the FBI going out on a day-in-day-out basis, objectively investigating allegations of law. It just so happens that the only thing that tends to come up in the right-wing ecosphere, whether in the media or on the Hill or from President Trump, are those things where they take a personal affront because it directly impacts them. There's absolute silence when the FBI is investigating former Secretary Clinton. There's absolute silence when the FBI is doing things that isn't targeting them. So I think this is a one-sided one narrative that has been developed and amplified, particularly by President Trump, going back to yeah. 2015 and 2016. That's just stunning. Uh, perhaps you don't remember, but I do remember those email where he they hated President Trump and uh, Lisa Page was saying, oh, no, we can't. He might win. We can't. We have to stop him. And Peter Strzok declares, we will stop him. You know, and if we can't do it this way, there's a plan B. We have a backup plan. We will stop him. We'll, we'll stop him. And these are FBI agents about the president of the United States. But, you know, uh, there's no choice, there's no partisan decision in the FBI, says Peter Strzok. No, we are not weighing in on one side or the other. This is, uh, you know, the, the right-wing media uh, didn't care that we went after Hillary Clinton. Well, they went after Hillary Clinton, all right. I just told you what happened. Hillary Clinton, is, uh, nothing happened to her because uh, James Comey declared that she, did, she didn't mean to do it. She didn't mean to do it. It was intent. It was just, she didn't intend to. It was just accidental. Uh, when she, you know, bleach-bitted her, you know, destroyed her files, she didn't mean it. It was really, you know, she's just innocent. So that's what he declared. And so, uh, we, you know, and then Cheryl Mills, who was the one who oversaw deleting all those emails, uh, she's, she's off too. It's okay, even though she violated the law herself and denied 
or ignored a House subpoena on this issue. But of course, Peter Strzok wants you to believe in the um, the FBI because you see, you know, they're not they're impartial. They're impartial judges. They went after Hillary Clinton in the same way. This is just this defies logic. It defies um, common sense. We know that that's we just know unless you live in the bushes, you know that Hillary Clinton has never. Has she been to jail? Has she been through? Has she been punished? Has she been fined? No. Uh, she was the Secretary of State during that time and later a presidential candidate. And so, no, not, not exactly true on that count. And then the interesting thing is, is now I, I played for you last week how the Republican leadership is responding to this raid on Mar-a-Lago. It's pretty much disgusting to me, I have to tell you. So the immediately the uh, the minority leader in the House, Mitch McConnell, uh, was asked about it right away, and we're going to revisit this. This is what he said. He was in Kentucky at the time. Clip eight. Can you hear a little bit? Uh, what is your reaction to the FBI raid yesterday? I'm here today to talk about uh, the flood and the recovery from the flood. I'm here to talk about the flood and the recovery from the flood. Now, a couple of days later, he was forced to make a statement. But, boy, he didn't want to because he, you know, hates President Trump. And so last night, Asa Hutchison was uh, on, I don't know what he was on, uh, CNN perhaps. I don't have it written down here. But Asa Hutchison had a few words to say, the former governor of Arkansas, who's turned into something I don't recognize. Here he is. Clip six. The FBI is simply carrying out their responsibilities under the law, a lawful search warrant uh, that uh, a magistrate uh, signed off on. And uh, they didn't go in there with FBI raid jackets. Uh, They tried to constrain uh, their behavior carrying out that warrant. So let's be uh, let's support law enforcement. Let's stand with them. Yeah, so uh, I don't know what happened to Asa Hutchinson. I'm not sure who ran away with his uh, mind. I remember when he was really good. This seems to happen to all of them. They do not stay good. They just don't. And so he's on his way to the Walmart uh, chairman of the board, or to a board position at Walmart, so that'll be very lucrative for him. Mike Turner, Ohio Republican Mike Turner, was on last night. Uh, and uh, who he, uh, again, it doesn't say where he, who he was on with. Uh, But Mike Turner basically repeated what the left is saying, that no one is above the law. Uh, Donald Trump is not above the law. That's not helpful. But by contrast, we have these courageous guys in the House who have sent a letter to uh, to Ronald Klain, who's the assistant to the president, President Biden, uh, demanding all the documents and communications uh, based on this raid in Mar-a-Lago. There's a lot to it. It's signed by how many people in Congress? Oh, Four, Jim Jordan, Louis Gohmert, Steve Shabbat, and Daryl Issa. That's it. I don't see Kevin McCarthy's name on this. You get what I'm trying to say? These people have to go. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. You know, it's true. Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. No doubt. This is why so many people are joining MediShare right now. MediShare is a trusted way to save up to 50% on your monthly healthcare costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with healthcare costs and out-of-pocket expenses going up. MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. And MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing ministry that's worked beautifully for 29 years. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch and start saving. 
Here you go. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Bible League International. Thank God your pastor wasn't attacked on Sunday, but it happened to Pastor Nepo recently while preaching in Burundi, Africa. Twenty radicals dragged him down the aisle to the front lawn where they beat him nearly to death because he's been faithfully sharing the gospel with Muslims and nearly 200 have come to Christ in his village where Christians are attacked daily. Anyone who comes to Jesus as their Lord and Savior are easily persecuted. In coastal India, Jay Anth planted a church in a village with no Christians and today, more than half of that village follows Christ, but it did not come easy. His house was burned down twice, his wife was assaulted, and many in the church have been threatened with death, but they're not praying for an end to their suffering. They're praying for Bibles to endure and persevere. We're halfway to our goal to send God's Word to 16,000 Bibleist persecuted believers, and we need to wrap up in a week. So at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20. Will you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. Or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. And God bless you for caring. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Asa Baker is a budding entrepreneur, an eight-year-old who's been running a lemonade stand this summer. On most days, she sets up shop in the front yard of her family's home in Alliance, Ohio. But the other day, she got wind of a big festival in town near her dad's office, the Alliance Rib and Food Festival. She decided all those hungry folks might be thirsty, so she set up her stand about a half block from the festival. A few minutes later, the police showed up. They said someone filed a complaint. Turns out in Ohio, anyone who sells lemonade has to have a permit, and she was told to shut down her stand. The police officer felt bad, but the law is the law. What a messed up country we live in, where kids need government papers to sell lemonade. The only thing more sour than the lemons is the lowlife who ratted out the eight-year-old. I'm Todd Starnes. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Good morning. I'm here to give you an update on the FBI's investigation of Secretary Clinton. What I want to do is tell you what we're recommending. But first, let me tell you what we found. 110 emails, 52 email chains have been determined to contain classified information. At this point, does it make eight of those chains are top secret? Thirty-six of those chains secret, and eight contain confidential information. What difference at this point does it make? Everything I did was admitted. There was no law, no regulation. Secretary Clinton should have known that an unclassified system was no place for that conversation. I did not email any classified material to anyone on my email. None of these emails should have been on any kind of unclassified system. To the contrary, nothing was marked classified. There is evidence Now let me tell you what we found. Oh my gosh. 110 emails. It was not the best choice. 52 email chains. It was a mistake. Have been determined to contain classified information. 
wasn't the best choice. Six of those chains. A cabinet was a mistake. Eight contained confidential information. What difference at this point does it make? With respect to our recommendation, this is going to be an unusual statement in at least a couple of days. Although there is evidence, our judgment is that no reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case. <laughs> I know there will be intense public debate. I know there will be intense public debate. I know there will be intense public debate. Public debate. What difference at this point does it make? 110 emails. It wasn't the best choice. 52 email chains. I made a mistake. Have been determined to contain classified information. What difference at this point does it make? Eight of those chains are absolutely six of those chains. I said it was a mistake. And eight contain confidential information. All right, that's a montage of uh, James Comey and Hillary Clinton. Actually, their voices, you've heard that auto-tuning. That's an old uh, montage. Someone sent it to me and reminded me of the, what a, that was such a scandal, and someone put that together. It's very effective. And I want to point out that Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, so she was bound uh, to, class, to, uh, to respect the classifications on documents. Uh, by law, she was bound to do that. The president, a president, is in a different category. The president of the United States is the, the buck stops with him. What he says is classified is classified. What he says is not, decla- is not classified is not classified. The president has full authority to declare that. So he's in a very, President Trump is in a very different position and, of course, you know that the things that they took were in this storage area locked up. The FBI had been through all of it. He'd invited them in. Uh, they asked for him to put an extra lock on the door, which he did. And then they raided, you know, without this warning and, and acted as though President Trump was trying to, uh, you know, mishandle classified information when he was, as the president of the United States, a person over-classifying information. It's ridiculous. And uh, it's just the point needs to be made over and over and over again. This is an election today. I was wrong yesterday. There's no election in South Dakota. Thank you for one of our listeners uh, uh, correcting me on that because I had it on my calendar and I was wrong. Uh, but today is Wyoming, 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 and that means Liz Cheney. Uh, we are learning now, uh, it really kind of just an interesting piece of information. Liz Cheney, of course, is way behind uh, her uh, competitor in that race, uh, Harriet, I can't think of her last name, uh, but Harriet is running way, way ahead of Liz Cheney. However, it's an open primary, and so Democrats are coming across the aisle and voting in the Republican primary in order to save Liz Cheney's bacon. And so we'll see what happens today. We, we're learning that Liz Cheney's husband, Philip Perry, is a partner in a law firm that represents Hunter Biden in a Department of Justice grand jury probe. Isn't that interesting? Another little twist. Uh, and if we had it, I'd play again for you Dick Cheney's uh, ad on behalf of his daughter. Actually, see if you guys can pull that up real quick. Uh, because, you know, Vice President Cheney um, hates President Trump. And uh, that's one of the reasons that the voters in Wyoming are so opposed to Liz Cheney. That's why Hageman, I think her name is, Harriet Hageman, I believe that's why she's so far ahead, because they've been disgusted with Liz's work through this with this J6 committee, which has been nothing more than... A one-sided, just think of it, you being in a courtroom, there's only a prosecutor against you. The only evidence presented is that by people who uh, want you to be guilty. No defense. You can't speak in your defense. And no and no one appearing in your defense with any other evidence. That's what's been happening. And Liz Cheney's been presiding over all of it. So that race is today. And then Sarah Palin. 
Uh, this is what I've been looking for and could not find it on the internet, the date of this. But now I know the date of this. Sarah Palin, of course, made it through for a special election for Congressman Don Young, who was killed in March. Uh, it's a special election that happened, and she prevailed uh, in that particular their, their voting is really wacky and I'm not sure I can make it clear I'm sure I can't because I have to have to read more to be able to do that uh, but this time uh, today is now a, a runoff for this special it's a special election and so um, it's it's a Sarah Palin and a Republican named Nick Begich and a Democrat named Mary Peltola and so whoever the top two vote getters are of this little contest will go up against each other it's um it's rank choice voting, which is a new – Alaskans voted it in just in 2020 just by a, a, a narrow margin. It really does do away with your ability <clears throat> to identify candidates uh, by party. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I will have to have a longer discussion of this, but most people that I know uh, – and I'm basing it on their opinions because they haven't read enough about it – to have an opinion yet, a strong one. Uh, that means that um, that the Democrat could cause – uh, well, could, will probably prevail today because the the, Repu- the Republican vote will be split by uh, Sarah Palin and Nick Baggage. So then, the what whoever whatever Republican comes in second will have to go up against the the, the Democrats. So it's just very interesting. Baggage is a wealthy tech entrepreneur. He was co-chairman of Don Young's campaign in 2020, but then they say he went to the right and. Um, he comes from a family of prominent Democrats. That's interesting. So now he's running as a Republican. So I don't. Uh, that's that's all I know. Peltola, the female Democrat, is a salmon advocate and former state legislator from Western Alaska. So that's happening today up in the state of Alaska. Um, this is an interesting article by uh, Ken Blackwell, who's a good friend. Uh, Ken is. Everywhere. <laughs> He's everywhere. Former, he first became a, a, acquainted with Ken when he was Secretary of State in Ohio. That was a million years ago. Uh, he's uh, grown up to become quite a force in Washington. But uh, he points to this article. He's running now. He's over an election integrity effort, uh, which lots of people that I know are involved in. And um, so... According to their surveys, people are really, really concerned, the Rasmussen especially, that voter fraud is an alarming, alarmingly common concern for American voters headed into the midterms this November. And uh, people are hoping, you know, to sort things out and to take uh, take our, our rights back, to stop this barrage of gasoline prices and inflation and forcing us into uh, really, uh, say, electric cars. But you know that that's a, that's a dead-end street. It just is. I just don't think electric cars will ever replace gasoline, fossil fuel-powered cars. That doesn't mean they can't run on electricity. It's an interesting concept, and I'm certainly not against experimenting with it and developing it. I think we should do that, but we are not there. We are just not there. Electric cars cannot replace. They can't pull things. They can't last long. There aren't. Uh, there's not the infrastructure for repairs, the tools, and whatever it takes. Uh, batteries cost thousands and thousands of dollars people are trashing their electric cars when the batteries go dead because they can't afford to buy a new battery it's uh it's really chaos and the thing of it is you have to remember that the left does not want you driving around and having personal freedom that is the ultimate goal here is to take away your ability to be free uh and a lot of our freedom comes through being able to drive our own cars so don't think it's trying you know like this this pure motive of trying to you know have clean air it's it's really not about that I wish it were, but it isn't. 
And so this poll that uh, Ken is referring to found that 50% of likely U.S. voters think it is at least somewhat likely there will be widespread cheating that will affect the outcome of this fall's congressional elections, including 24% who say it's very likely. So that's, that's a lot. Um, the poll also found that 52% think that it is somewhat likely that fraud affected the outcome of the 2020 election. That's 52% of likely voters. So um, and this is what uh, Ken has to say in response to the 2020 election, the presidential election. He says, one thing that really got my attention is the fact that every president who has gained votes in the re-election campaign has also won re-election for the last 150 years. And Trump gained about 12 million more votes in 2020 as compared to his numbers in 2016. But somehow, Biden pulled off a miracle. In addition, Obama won 873 counties in 2008, while Biden only won 524 counties in 2020. But somehow, Biden outdid Obama in total votes. Also, Biden became the second president in 168 years to lose Ohio, Florida, and Iowa, and still win the election. And the last thing I look at uh, was that Trump won 18 of 19 bellwether counties. Those are the statistical counties where uh, over and over, year after year, if you win those counties, you win the presidency. So Trump won 18 out of 19 of them, which have a near-perfect record over the last 40 years in determining the winner. The winner. So uh, the Election Integrity uh, uh, Organization, which is made up of, um, I won't even read all of it, but a lot of people that are good friends, uh, have been working, uh, and states have been passing legislation. Uh, Ken says over the last year and a half, there have been a h- hundreds of bills introduced across the country to strengthen election integrity. Significant election integrity legislation has been passed and signed into law in states like Georgia, Florida, Arizona, and Texas. Numerous concerned citizens have also volunteered to be poll watchers in their local le- elections. These have been meaningful steps in the work to ensure it is easy to vote but hard to cheat at the ballot box. And so um, that's why uh, we I haven't maybe said this recently, but if you have not, think of, I guess it's too late for the primaries, but in the fall election, make sure you sign up to be a poll worker. And don't be a volunteer. Be a paid employee so that you're right there and you have some skin in the game and you have some actually some clout to make something happen. Really, I think that's the only way we can be sure that these elections are free and fair. Now, I want to turn to something else very important. Let's see, how shall I do this quickly? Uh, You know that the, um, let's see, um, uh, well, first of all, you have to know that the media, and I don't have time to play it now, is, you know, accusing uh, the us, me, people like me, people in the right-wing media, they call us, of uh, lying about the IRS agents and the danger they are. I wish I could have had time to play that. But a former IRS whistleblower, his name is William Henk, he was with the IRS for, I don't know, 30 years. He left in 2017. Uh, he slammed the IRS and others who are who argued that additional funding would only result in increased audits, audi- um, audits for billionaires and corporations and the Inflation Reduction Act, which... President Biden is probably going to sign this week, uh, and it's going to nearly double the IRS budget, appropriating an additional $79 billion um, to the agency over the next decade. So he says, Hank says, the idea that they're going to open things up and go after these big billionaires and large corporations is frankly blank. 
It's not going to happen. They're not going to give them, they are, they're going to give themselves bonuses and promotions and really nice conferences. The big corporations and the billionaires are probably sitting back laughing right now. He goes on to say that Americans with an annual income of less than $75,000 will be subject to nearly 711,000 new IRS audits. Uh, individuals making more than $500,000 will receive about 95000 additional audits as a result of this inflation-reducing act. And then there's another one. Uh, Biden's inflation bill, uh, part of it that's written in there, it's going to give you, you and me, $7,500 in electric vehicle tax credits. Isn't that amazing? Won't that be great? Can you imagine saving $7,500 on buying a new electric car since you can't, you know, find a car to buy right now? can't afford a used one, can't afford a new one. You could go to an electric and get $7,500 in tax credits. The only problem is this report says that um, Ford has now announced that it's raising their prices on their electric vehicles from from $6,000 to $8,500. But they're not the only ones. There are other companies, uh, GM and Ford, both have just raised the prices on their electric vehicles by that very same amount. So I guess... It won't help you, but it will help Ford and GM. So they're only thinking of you, these people who are running things in the Congress right now. They're only thinking of you. And so, and last but not least, I should play this for you. Jamie Raskin, who's one of the, uh, you know, the heads of the J6 committee, was asked on the mall about this bill. And, um, you know, what part of this bill will lower inflation? And this was the back and forth. This is clip four. As as soon as the act goes into uh, effect, I hope that all of the provisions will begin to work. I am. Uh, I, I know that those who've been blaming President Biden for the inflation going up are now giving President Biden all the credit for inflation going down. So we're moving things in the right direction already. Yeah, and what parts of the bill do you think will will quickly work on that specifically? The, the, uh, next question. <laughs> that should have come first. And what parts of this bill will actively flight and fight inflation, a senator or Congressman Raskin? Um, next question. Next question. Because there are no parts of it that will fight inflation. This inflation-reducing bill that's been passed, um, it's all a big sham. It's a big lie. And I, you know what, I just pray that more and more people will understand. Uh, and uh, maybe they are. I think with this arrest or this raid on President Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago, I think it has been an eye-opener. For a lot of people, and now this additional, this threat, this fearful thing of appointing all these IRS agents and uh, giving them the right to carry guns um, is should frighten everyone of both parties, of people that love this country and enjoy their freedoms as people who live in you know on this soil, the God-given freedoms that our founding fathers secured for us should be very concerned about this, and I hope that they are and that they, you know, act accordingly. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Forget about Facebook. The last 10 days we've been banned twice, and is unbanning a word. They put us under the ban. Christians and conservatives don't need you, YouTube. Banned one day, banned again. AFR programs are now live streaming on the AFA streaming app. Now you can get shows like today's issues straight from the source. Put back on the next. Just say unbanned. Unbanned. Just search AFA streaming or visit streaming.afa.net to sign up. God has set his heart on the person that is listening to us right now who is at the very bottom and they've lost a job, a child has died. 
and they don't feel like life is worth living, God has set his heart on you. Even when we're not worthy, we are worth something to God. Exploring the Word, weekday afternoons at 3 Central on American Family Radio. Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. A friend of mine who pastors a church in Nigeria once said to me, you know, America has sent more missionaries into the world than any other nation before it. But the nation that once sent missionaries has now become the mission field. As you consider the calling God has for you, I just want to remind you that just as other nations need missionaries, we need missionaries in America, too. There are a lot of neighborhoods right here in our country that desperately need evangelism and discipleship. Let's not forget about them. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Hello? Hey, stranger. Oh, hi. Thank goodness it's you. I was afraid to answer the phone. Why? What's up? The credit card companies are after me. They want me to make payments and the calls never stop. Ouch. Been there before, but I got help from Trinity Debt Management. Trinity? Yeah. I called and right away, Trinity contacted my creditors and got my interest rates cut in half. They ended all the late fees and over-limit charges, and they stopped those annoying phone calls. Bet that was a relief. Yep. Then they put me on a plan that consolidated my bills and to one easy monthly payment. That way, I paid off my debt fast while saving thousands. Nice. Trinity even showed me how to plan and meet a monthly budget. So now I'm debt-free for keeps. Wow. Do you still have their number? Sure. Here, write this down and call 1-800-788-1813. Can you repeat that? 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. There's talk we'll face this fall new outbreaks of the COVID-19 pandemic, or perhaps the Chinese Communist Party will subject us to an even worse virus than the one that's killed a million of us so far. The Committee on the Present Danger of China is exploring in a webinar at 1 p.m. Eastern Time today why the United States responded to the last pandemic by adopting the unprecedented China model. That entailed imposing masks, lockdowns, the mandated use of inadequately tested vaccines, and digital vax passports for enforcing them. Tragically, the China model doesn't work. Besides the Americans who needlessly died, countless others have been gravely harmed, physically, economically, and due to freedoms lost. Before anyone tries to reinstitute this disastrous totalitarian regimen, we need to understand its failings and hold accountable those who promoted it here. Join us at PresentDangerChina.org. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. In his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is coming soon. My dad walked in the door and he said, Denise, I want to become a woman. I struggled with my identity all the way through my life, lived eight years as Laura Jensen until I found the Lord Jesus Christ. The issues are unavoidable, 
They're on the news. The White House in rainbow colors. They're in our legislation. The Texas bathroom bill. In our schools. Drag queen story hour. Our entertainment, our social media. We are taking biologically healthy young children and putting them at risk. Every church in America is facing this. As Christians, we can't sit this one out. Is it really possible that I can experience change? The fact that there's a struggle doesn't mean that you're on the wrong path. Obeying God is a struggle. Holiness is a struggle. There is hope for you. God loves you. In His Image, from American Family Studios, coming soon. And you are made in the image of God. All right, Sandy Rios, back with you. That is a movie that's already ready. That It's ready. It's been shown for the last couple of years uh, to many, many churches around the country. In His Image, it's so powerful. You have to see it, by the way. Look at the AFA store. You can get it. Uh, and the producer of that movie is joining us this morning. His name is M.D. Perkins. He's the producer of The God Who Speaks, which is another one of our great films, and in his image. Uh, he is the research fellow of church and culture for the American Family Association, and um, he joins us this morning. Good morning, M.D. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, happy to be with you, Sandy. Hey, give us a follow-up on how In His Image has been effective. How has it been used? What kind of stories are you hearing? Oh, man, uh, people are really uh, being impacted by In His Image because, you know, it, it's a movie that that brought a, a lot of the various themes that people were dealing with in culture and was able to kind of navigate a way through it to help people um, feel equipped to answer a lot of the challenges and questions that they're facing within their home, within their church, and all those kinds of things. So, I mean, we continue to hear from people each day who are just so grateful for uh, a documentary like that that kind of sheds light on a lot of the issues, but also with a compassionate heart is able to reach out um, to those who are lost and hurting. Well, I think it was masterful, MD. I don't know if I've had a chance to tell you that. I think it was. This is an issue that I've covered in great depth as president of Concerned Women for America. When this first crept up on the American scene, more visibly, uh, we were all at it. And so I just think that you guys have done a great job with this. And now let me just say that you are here with me this morning because you have just written a book called Dangerous Affirmation, The Threat of Gay Christianity. Dangerous Affirmation, The Threat of Gay Christianity. Um, I, I just want to start with this, MD. How, how deeply embedded do you think the acceptance of homosexuality has become? Now, I'm going to say in the evangelical church, because we could talk about the mainstream churches. Sure. They were first in line, but that's a whole other issue. Let's talk about the evangelical church. How deeply embedded is the acceptance? Yeah, well, there's different layers, of course, to that embeddedment, because there's there's certain you know policy structures and statements of faith that um, are not necessarily full-on affirming. But the the ways in which the the overall LGBT movement has impacted the evangelical church is massive. Uh, it, it deals with how how people are interpreting scripture and how people are being pointed toward not just gay affirming um, you know interpretations, but just ways of incorporating psychological you know secular psychology into the way that they interpret scripture to where sexual orientation becomes this valid category that then you're reading back into the scripture in certain points. Um, you know, ways in which, um, you know, individual Christians feel constrained or challenged when they are trying to address some of these issues within their home or within fr- with friends or coworkers or on social media. You know, the, just the, the barrage of information that's out there and counter information, you know, false information 
about what the Bible teaches, about how um, about how Christians should think about these things, and all of the all of those things are coming at Christians at a lot of different angles within the evangelical church. And so I think the end result, you know, to answer your question, is that there's there still seems to be a lot of a lot of confusion among evangelicals, as well as just an overall sense of timidity and fear in approaching this topic. And so that's that's why we wrote. Uh, that's why I wrote Dangerous Affirmation. I really wanted Christians to be equipped to uh, to think biblically about homosexuality and to understand how this LGBT movement overall has been impacting the church, even their own churches. You know that may be outside of the mainline. Well, I totally agree with you, and it is very subtle. Uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. I, I'll be very blatant to say that I um, have been very vocal about Russell Moore's at, when he was with the Southern Baptist Convention. Yeah. Uh, he he was very crafty. And the way he worded things, and if you are not familiar with this whole genre of language and the things that are said, then you you think he's saying something that's biblically solid, but he's not. And uh, one of the things that a, a gay um, former gay man said to me, the thing that really distressed him about Russell Moore in particular, and I think others are teaching the same thing, that it's okay to be, you know, you you kind of made that way. The inference is that mm-hmm. you're made that way, uh, but you just can't act on it. So. And he was saying, the, the, my formerly gay friend was saying, "That's a de- that's horrible. You, you don't tell people you're just you're right. just you have to live this way the rest of your life. No, you're that's an incomplete message. The gospel is that we are created male and female, and that God does not want you to. He wants you to know the fullness of your sexuality exercised in the right way. Your comments on that, MD? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you're pointing out here is one of the one of the various streams of of the influence of gay Christianity. You know, I, I pinpoint three mainstreams. I see the gay affirming church movement exemplified within the main lines. I see a queer theology that's emerging. That's very, you know, uh, abrasive and, you know, um, it, it kind of takes big ideas, you know, like God is queer or something kind of throws that in Christians faces to try and, you know, shock them. But then there's the subtle form that's emerging within conservative Christian churches, which is, um, what I call gay celibate theology. It's exemplified by the revoice movement and the revoice conference, you know, which is what you're alluding to here. Um, You know, and that's, that's something that, uh, that is still very new. It's still, you know, kind of in its formative stages, but a lot of Christians are, are completely oblivious to the fact that these kinds of conversations are happening out there. And so suddenly just ideas will be introduced into a conversation or an email thread or something. And then they are, you know, not really aware that these subtle shifts in language have actually occurred. You know, when someone is saying same-sex sexual desire is sinful, but same-sex attraction is not, you know, they're saying that just, you know, the lustful fantasizing is wrong, but actually the overall bent toward, you know, this unnatural desire. I mean, what the Bible calls dishonorable passions in Romans 1, you know, that there's nothing inherently sinful about that. You know, that subtle distinction there, a lot of Christians miss it because, you know, we're just not always thinking very carefully or, you know, it's just presented to us in a very matter-of-fact way that we just kind of go along with it because it's being spoken to us by people we trust. But, you know, to my knowledge, I mean, I think this this book may be the first one to bring all of these three streams together to try and highlight exactly what's going on in the biggest sense, as well as digging down deep into what some of these areas are saying. So, so important. So important. And let me repeat, it's called Dangerous Affirmation, 
the threat of gay Christianity. And let's get practical. How could people get this MD? We're not through talking, but how can they get it? Yeah, please go to dangerousaffirmation.net and that will connect you into the AFA Resource Center. That's the only place to exclusively buy the book right now. We're, we're kind of foregoing the Amazon machine at the moment. So please go to dangerousaffirmation.net to buy book. You know, and one other thing, uh, one, not just one, but on this thing we're talking about right now, I, I, I'm actually furious. I, I get very angry about this. I have seen this uh, pollute and pervert great organizations like Campus Crusade for Christ mm-hmm. crew has gone soft on this, World Vision, uh, Salvation Army. <clears throat> you know, I could imagine there's a long list, but they have been infected by this, and I'd, I'm not sure— I've, my personal view, and I'd be interesting to know what you think, is that the whole generation of young pastors have been silenced by this subtlety. And if you ask them a hard question, if they believe homosexuality is not is uh, not biblical, is not biblical, or is a sin, they would probably say yes. Yeah. And yet, what I find is they're just silent. They're silent on this. Your thoughts on that, MD? Yeah. Well, there's a great deal of just being ashamed overall. I think that's happening there. Because in one sense, yes, you're right. Like a lot of these pastors wouldn't say that they are gay affirming or that the Bible endorses that, you know, so they would hold to, you know, a biblically orthodox view of, of homosexuality and sexuality in general. But they're very fearful of the encroachment that's happening within the culture and the pressure that's being placed on them, especially in light of the Obergefell decision and the way that homosexuality has just been normalized across our society. And so they feel this sense of, of shame to even address this issue the way that the Bible does. You know, there's a lot of people who are just even shying away from the kind of biblical language that's being used. You know, where even reading, you know, Romans 1 or 1 Corinthians 6 is somehow offensive in itself, you know, when that's actually the biblical wording that's being used. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot of pressure there. I think some of those guys are nece- maybe well-meaning, but there is this um, this overall fear and timidity that's crept in that keeps them from addressing things clearly and honestly. And so, you know, as we've seen with this whole movement from time to time, when that pressure comes in, you know, Christians start to get a little squirrely in their language and they get real vague and they don't want to make clear definitive statements. And so that's what we're starting to see. A lot of evangelicals do that in these organizations, like you mentioned, and they're having and the other side of it, I would say, is the personal experience side. You know, they they feel like they can't speak to it because of this kind of standpoint epistemology that's being promoted with like critical race theory and critical theory and things like that. And so if you can have someone who says, well, I'm same-sex attracted and I believe that the Bible says that uh, homosexual behavior is wrong and that I shouldn't be in a same-sex marriage, then you can have them stand up and speak, but they, they're already adjusting a lot of things and starting to take on that gay and Christian moniker as if those things are co-equal and somehow you know, communicate effectively. I would also like to say, sadly, and I'll, uh, I would say sadly, that this was happening before a burger fell. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pastors were not willing to speak. And I, and there was this whole notion, uh, MD, and I think, again, I'm sorry to go back to Russell Moore because he comes to my mind about this. Um, I remember the narrative was that, uh, especially Southern Baptists, which I was raised Southern Baptist, so I know a lot about what happened. I, was, I went to Southern Baptist University. I have a lot of experience with Southern Baptist yeah. churches. And the accusation was that Southern Baptist churches were pounding the pulpit and making uh, homosexual people in the congregation feel guilty because they were preaching fire and brimstone. And I have to tell you, MD, of all the years I spent in Southern Baptist churches and in the university, I never once, 
I never once heard a pastor preach a sermon uh, where he railed against homosexuality. He would mention it in the list of sins Mm -hmm. uh, that are, you know, the several lists that we have in the New Testament, but not singled out. I'd never heard that in my life ever. Right. I think that's lie. I think it's a false, false. It is. I mean, that is one of the things I do address that in the book too. I call it the weapon of homophobia, the way that that term has been utilized and weaponized against Christians to make them feel like they are bigots, to make them feel like they they aren't loving unless they, you know, define love and enact love in the way that you know progressive Christians are saying it. And it is it is a lie. I mean, you know, there may be places where people have not been sensitive or careful in how they've handled these these issues. But you know, to your point, like what you were saying, in the vast majority of these cases, you know, Christians are very much wanting to help wanting to find ways that they can show love and compassion to somebody. And, um, you know, and, and they aren't, you know, necessarily standing up and berating a lot of people, you know, that might've been an issue at one time in our history, you know, going back to the, to the sixties or seventies or something. But, you know, in many of these cases now, you know, the, the ways what people define as homophobia is really an inappropriate term, but it is a very effective political term to try and silence Christians who, um, you know, believe believe that the Bible condemns homosexual behavior and homosexuality, and then want to um, want to try and speak on it, but now suddenly feel embarrassed or ashamed to speak out. So, what's the antidote to this? What is what's the fix on this, M.D. Perkins? Well, the the fix is always to return to the Scripture. You know, to to know what God has said, and to to try and live in light of what what God has revealed there, because you know God's wisdom is greater than man's wisdom, and so much of this is an attempt by mankind to try and adjust, uh, you know, the truth of God's word to, to make it somehow more palatable or more acceptable or more syncretic to what is happening uh, in our culture. And so that's, that's something, it's a temptation for every Christian. It's a temptation in every generation of the church. And, you know, the way that the homosexuality movement is affecting us now is just the newest iteration of that. Yes. And I have to say, we have to be people of courage yes. and pastors. You have to show us that courage. Your people are struggling. They are struggling in this culture, and they need the clarity of God's Word. And so I just challenge each, each of you to read this book, Dangerous Affirmation, uh, The Threat of Gay Christianity. You can go to dangerousaffirmation.net and order the book. And M.D. Perkins, you're doing such great work. Honestly, you are. Thank you so much. And um, uh, by the way, um, In His Image. In His Image is a video that would be a wonderful tool for your church, for your small groups, for your Bible studies, for your families. In His Image. And thank you. Um, M.D., thanks for joining us this morning. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.